Hello, it's Thursday, December the 9th. This is Andrew Pearce and the Andrew Pearce Show is coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Well, would you pay £150 for a pan which is called the Le Creuset for millennials? I'm talking to someone who thinks it's a pretty good price. We're also talking about the vote on LV, one of our oldest insurance companies. The revolt in the Tory party over the wave of new restrictions, a watered-down version of Plan B on covid I'm talking to one of the Tory rebels. And a new snap poll has shown support for the government is waning, not least because of the Prime Minister's embarrassing apology to the Commons over the Downing Street party and the video which was released of his former press secretary, Allegra Stratton. But first, I'm talking about those COVID restrictions. Among the changes, millions of office staff will be urged to work from home. I'm speaking to a senior figure from the NHS to ask, will these changes be enough and are they necessary at all? A new snap poll has shown support for the government is waning and waning pretty fast. 83% say the government have let the public down over the Christmas party and more than half polled, 54%, say the Prime Minister should resign. The poll is by Savannah Comres and Chris Hopkins is Associate Director there and joins me now. Pretty brutal assessment by the public, isn't it? 83% saying the government have let them down over the Christmas party. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's definitely one of the key headlines from this, Andrew. Not, and not only that, you know, the, the same number, the same proportion said that um, the government has let people that, you know, that have lost loved ones to COVID down. And I think that, you know, ultimately those are going to be the people that are going to feel most hard done by by this Christmas party story. You know, every, the people that did follow the rules ever so dil- diligently because you know, they had family members and loved ones that were shielding, that were unwell. Um, and that have probably subsequently passed away, you know, ultimately they're going to think, well, why did I bother? I could have spent that time with my loved ones while you know, the government were partying away in number 10. And I think ultimately you know, that's, that's going to be the damage um, that's that, that done to government. It does feel like, you know, I think the public have been you know, really forgiving of, 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 of government policy throughout the pandemic, but this is one that's going to stick in the core for a long time, I think. Yeah, do you think it, it, the, the, the other big issue that had great cut through, Chris, was Barnard Castle when the Prime Minister's then senior advisor uh, drove to a beauty spot with his wife and child um, in breach of all the rules and he came up with some cock and bull excuse about testing his eyesight. That had real cut through. I would think probably this has got even more cut through because the party, even though the PM wasn't there, was in number 10 and he was in the building. Yeah, I think so. I think ultimately, you know, both of those issues tap into um, you know, the great British kind of tradition of fairness. And I think that that's what that's what matters most to to, uh, to the British public. And, and ultimately, they, they see you know, both of those incidents uh, as unfair, as one rule for them and as one rule for everybody else. And, and you, know, that, you know, you can agree with the government's pandemic policy. You can agree, agree with Plan B. You can agree with loads of, loads of things that the government have done. But ultimately, if they're not following their own rules, yet they're asking us to, us as the public, no, I think that it's completely legitimate for the public to, to, to start to be quite frustrated and quite upset genuinely at, 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 at this story. And, and yeah, I think um, it's difficult sometimes in politics and particularly you know, when, when we're asked to do you know, snap polling like this um, to understand what's a talking point and what's a turning point. Barnard Castle definitely was a turning point and I think only time will tell uh, with other numbers, with other polls that are due, that are due to come out, including how people will vote or whether this one is, is, a, is a turning point or a talking point. And Chris, we've got a big by-election next week in North Shropshire caused by the resignation of Owen Paterson who went over 
put to put it mildly, sleaze and Boris Johnson's inept response to that. Do you think what's happened in the last 24 hours will have an impact on that by-election? The Tories have a majority of 23,000. They ought to hang on. They did in um, uh, Old Bexley and Sidcup a week ago, but this could play very badly for them on the doorstep. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's, it's a huge, it's a huge by-election, and as you say, it, it is a huge majority. But I think that you know the reasons behind um, the, re- the reasons behind the resignation. Ultimately, you know, if it, if this was an MP that had passed away or an MP that had to stand down for another reason, I think yeah. I think that, you know the Tories might be more likely to hold on to it. But at, at the end of the day, it, it isn't. And I think that that you know it, this this Christmas party story ultimately you know, is not always. Um, the individual event is the cumulative effect of things. And ultimately, you know, the Tories have been hammered now for the last couple of months uh, with these allegations and, and, as I say, you know, generally feeling like the public feel quite hard done by and like things are unfair, like it is one rule for them and one rule for others. Um, and therefore, yeah, I think they, they do have a bit of a battle on in, in, in North Shropshire. Obviously, you know, the Lib Dems, um, you know, they, they love a by-election. They <laughs> let's, do. Let's, let's leave it like that. So, so yeah, I, you know, I think I think they do face they do definitely face the battle. I think at the moment the bookies have, have the Liberal Democrats as favourites, and and that that's come in the last sort of twenty four to forty eight hours. So, so yeah, it's going to be a really interesting by-election. But yeah, I think uh, I think the Tories are really going, now going to struggle to hold that, and I think the the voters in North Shropshire are going to be pretty angry um, if they weren't already. Indeed, I think that's right. That's Chris Hopkins, associate director at Savanta Comrades. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and much more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So the government's announced a raft of new restrictions in an attempt to control the new Omicron strain of coronavirus. Amongst the changes, millions of office staff will be urged to work from home. In fact, anyone who can work from home is being urged to do so. Face coverings will be required in theatres, cinemas, places of worship and larger venues such as football stadiums will require patrons to prove they're fully vaccinated. Nightclubs, you'll have to show you've been double vaccinated too. Dr Leila McKay is the Director of Policy at the NHS Confederation and she joins me now. Dr McKay, I wonder what's your reaction? Um, This is the so-called Plan B or partly Plan B. Is it enough? And do, do you think that people will follow the guidelines, particularly bearing in mind the controversy over the Downing Street Party? Well, given the fact that we already are seeing the NHS having huge amounts of pressure in acute care, urgent care, emergency, but also mental health and primary care, then this pressure is building so high that something like a surge of this new variant of COVID-19 Omicron could really tip things over the edge and because of that, our members have been telling us how worried they are. So it's good from my perspective that we are seeing uh, a call for people to take measures to reduce the transmission, to hopefully reduce the risk of these sorts of problems. So I think that it'll be beneficial in terms of people's individual health, and it'll also be helpful uh, in terms of how the NHS gets through this challenging winter. The ministers I've spoken to says they felt they had to do this because the booster jab is being outpaced by the spread of Omicron. Well, as we know, the booster jab is one of uh, our best defences against COVID-19. It's so important that if people are eligible, then they go and get it. But absolutely, what we have here is a new variant that the scientists are still learning about. There are a lot of answers that are unknown Um, It may be the case that it spreads more rapidly, but that 
information is still coming in as the scientists investigate. We don't exactly know the interactions between uh, how well the vaccination can protect against Omicron or whether whether there's some kind of difference compared to previous variants. So I think there are a lot of unanswered questions, but certainly the worry is that Omicron may spread quite quickly uh, around the UK. And uh, as it does, it may be the case that a certain proportion of the people who catch it would become quite unwell. So that's really the big worry at the moment. There's so many unknowns that it really makes sense to take a safe and sorry approach. Uh, there's talk, we don't know how s- substantive it is, there's talk that in Wales, Mark Drakeford, the First Minister, is contemplating a full lockdown. Is that too drastic? Would you have pref- or would you have preferred to see the Prime Minister and the two chief scientists announce a full lockdown in England? Because what, what he's done is effectively brought him into line with what they're already doing in Wales and Scotland. Gosh, it's really hard to know, isn't it? Because the information about Omicron is still emerging. And I think that decisions that are made need to be so closely aligned with the science as that comes through. At the moment, you know, and as I've said, it's better to be safe than sorry. It's better to make decisions that, that reduce the spread, um, particularly if there's additional measures that we can all be taking that don't drastically interfere with people's daily lives but could make a big difference to cutting the transmission of the disease. Now, obviously, if we're making those bigger changes that do interfere very dramatically with people's lives, then clearly that's a a much more challenging decision. It may be the case that that's needed at the moment. I think the science is, um, is still working as hard as they possibly can to understand what the situation is. What of the idea that because of the controversy over the Downing Street party that people may be more reluctant to follow the new guidelines because they'll think to hell with that number 10 didn't follow the guidelines it's pretty clear that party took place after all is that a concern for people working in the NHS that the the restrictions may be flouted ignored if you like I do think the NHS leaders worry that anything that would dissuade people from making the choices in changing their behaviors that would reduce the transmission Um, anything that would interfere with those choices are of course quite worrying and clearly people have strong feelings about um, what happened what happened last Christmas in Downing Street I think that what's really important to remember here is that we're, we're not doing this for the benefit of Downing Street we're doing it for the benefit of ourselves our friends our families our neighbors our communities and of course for the NHS as well that's the real reason that these measures are being brought in. So you could say, uh, you could say, I'm not going to do it despite uh, despite people that we perceive might have uh, might have made the wrong choices. But at the end of the day, we're all empowered to make to make good choices and to care about each other. And uh, I very much hope that that's what people are taking into account as they're thinking about this. There's there's always going to be stories about. Uh, about about people who've made who've made different choices but really what i hope here is that we can all take a bit of responsibility for you know understanding this is a really yeah. a really tricky situation and and what can we do to to make it better all right that's uh, dr Layla mckay she's the director of policy at the nhs confederation thanks for joining us visit malplus.co.uk to listen to the andrew pierce show for free in full along with our other podcasts and video series remember to tell your next speaker to play daily mail news 
so the government has announced its Plan B measures, but they have to be voted on in the Commons on Tuesday, and there is signs of a growing Tory revolt. Sir John Redwood is the Conservative MP for Wokingham, and he's a former Conservative Cabinet Minister. Uh, Sir John, some of these rules have been branded irrational by politicians, scientists, business leaders, and you've made the point um, in, the government are encouraging us to work from home, but allowing Christmas parties to continue. That seems irrational. Yeah, I find that very difficult to explain. I think the um, newspapers have gone to town on this as well, quite understandably, because a lot of the public are very concerned. Uh, I think uh, the government does face a big conservative revolt. I mean, I'm not leading it or whipping it, but you get the feeling there are going to be many more of us voting against these measures than when we had previous exchanges on previous measures. Uh, They always say they follow the science and the evidence. Well, we don't yet have much science or evidence on this latest variant. But what little bit that has come out, as from Pfizer recently, implies the vaccine still works very effectively against this new variant. And so people are uh, only likely to get a mild version of the disease if they've been vaccinated. Uh, And what we've seen so far in terms of hospital admissions and and deaths, although it's still early days, of course, uh, the trend is going down slightly rather than going up. So I think we say to the government, wait for scientific evidence to prove otherwise. But at the moment, it looks as if we can carry on with a strategy based on vaccination. Yeah, and of course we know, what was it the Treasury's own assessment? 17 to £18 billion hit to the economy of Plan B. People working from home, which means they're not using public transport, they're not using taxis, they're not spending money in, in, in cafe shops and restaurants, uh, in city centres, town centres, and a terrible impact this is going to have on the hospitality industry. Yes, indeed. It will obviously have a negative impact on jobs, investment, people's incomes in some cases, which is not welcome. And, and this is, again, uh, something a lot of us have been worried about, that we see the Prime Minister flanked by scientific and medical advisers making joint presentations. Now, it's the job of the Prime Minister and the Cabinet to take best medical and scientific advice, of course, but also to take best economic and business advice. So if they want the advisors to help front the policy, shouldn't there be an economic or treasury advisor there as well to put the other side of the case? Because we want to know the government has had a good argument about this and come to a balanced result. Yeah, and there is that dilemma, isn't there? The government is responsible for health, but it's also responsible for wealth. And this is definitely going to have uh, a negative impact on the economy. Just I just noticed walking around central London, Sir John, there are definitely fewer people and the roads are quieter already. Well, Well, of course there are. I mean, you know, I've taken myself off to work from home today because I don't have to be in Parliament today and doing all my meetings online in accordance with the government's wishes. But I'd rather be doing more of it out and about, as as you want to do. And uh, when you go out and about, yes, you do have to spend some money. That's, That's exactly right. But it's also not always just a simple choice because sometimes if you hit people's incomes, particularly those on rare incomes, that can be very bad for their health as well. Yeah. You've got to take other health issues into account. The pandemic and the measures to deal with it have taken t- quite a toll on people who had non-COVID problems. Yeah, and um, I wonder in the vote next week, Sir John, will you be voting against the measures? Oh yes, of course I'll be voting yeah, against them. Yeah. I assume so. I mean, I have voted against some of the measures in the past. Yeah, <laughs> and this uh, one indeed. I find even more difficult to justify. And as I've been stressing to you, I, I think yeah. if you're going to be data-driven and only concentrate on medical and scientific matters at least have the data there so that we're in no doubt that the data proves what you're saying and i don't think we're in that position yet the data is understandably very scarce and patchy because 
this variant hasn't been around for very long. Indeed. Can I ask you finally, Sir John, uh, by any uh, stretch of the imagination, yesterday was probably one of the most difficult days, if not the most difficult day for the Prime Minister in the Commons. Uh, He had to, uh, he apologised for the pretty grotesque images that emerged from that film of uh, Allegra Stratton uh, in the mock press conference. Uh, There's now an official inquiry underway. In fact, it's into three um, different parties, two in Downing Street and one in the Department of Health. How damaging is this for the standing of the Prime Minister among Conservative MPs? Well, it's not helpful, but I'd like to stress to your, your listeners that Conservative MPs are not talking about wanting to remove the Prime Minister. There's a lot of friendship and loyalty towards the Prime Minister for past successes and for for his abilities. But there's now a a public wish to engage with him uh, in getting some of these things sorted out. And that does include sorting out the Downing Street structure. Absolutely. Um, Now, you know, uh, it looks as if if these parties are true, that they were civil servants only and that the Prime Minister knew nothing about them and no minister or MP was invited to them or attended Mm. them. Uh, And that implies something wrong with the chain of command or something wrong with the people who have been given these privileged jobs in Downing Street. So if the report comes out with evidence that they were holding illegal parties in Downing Street, the Prime Minister has got to sack the people responsible and appoint a team of people who can work well together and who he controls. Should he, if I could ask you just to, on that point, uh, we know the position the Prime Minister's had. He's not, he never said there was no party. He just said the rules hadn't been broken. Uh, should he not have um, nailed, nailed down on that and got his officials to check just what, if anything, did happen on December the 18th, in which case he perhaps, he and other ministers might have had different responses when asked about the party uh, on the media? I think, of course, it would have been better if he'd asked and insisted on better information earlier. I mean, it can't be that difficult for the senior civil servants in Downing Street to be able to tell him whether there was or there wasn't a party. And there must be records of that party because people would have had email or WhatsApp invites yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I think it's quite possible the prime minister wasn't invited and didn't know anything about it. Some people say to me, well, how can you have a party in your own house and not know what's going on? Well, I don't think they understand the geography yes. of Downing Street in the way that you and I do. Yeah. But, you know, when I was head of the policy unit at Downing Street, I could invite other officials from the Downing Street buildings with security clearance to come to a party or an event in the policy unit area without telling the prime minister and without her knowing about it. The only difference was I never did that illegally or in a way which would embarrass her. Indeed, because whatever, the prime minister has been seriously embarrassed by this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a tragedy. Uh, And if it turns out that this is all true and that there were illegal parties, then action has to be taken about the personnel responsible. Indeed. That's Sir John Redwood. He's the Conservative MP for Wokingham. Thanks for joining us. Time now for our regular City Update, and nobody better to do that than Ruth Sunderland, who is, of course, the business editor at the Daily Mail. Ruth, it's been a big campaign for the Daily Mail. Liverpool, Victoria, LV, uh, which mutual status is threatened by the idea they may be sold to Bain. What, uh, what are they? Do I call them a venture capital firm or uh, what are they? Pri- private equity. Private equity really. firm. Private equity. Yeah. So, the, so the members are voting uh, in, in droves, we hope, but the, the final voting is tomorrow. When do we get the the outcome of the poll and I wonder if you have a hunch about what's going to happen yeah well well that that's the big question isn't it so um 
So the, 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 the main vote had a deadline yesterday. That was an online or in-post vote. So if you were going to participate in that, you, you needed to have got your vote in already. There is one final opportunity, though, to cast your vote and make your voice heard. There are two online meetings tomorrow, and you can actually click in and vote at those meetings tomorrow. So if you haven't already done that and you are an eligible LV policyholder and you have a view, I would urge you to make use of that opportunity and make your voice heard. So there are actually two votes on this. Um, the, the, the bosses of LV are so desperate to sell to Bain Capital that they've actually done a bit of gerrymandering. So there's a vote on, it, on the sale itself and there's also a vote um, in order to scrap a requirement that they need a majority of 50% for it to go for the sale to go through now that requirement for a majority was put in place to protect members against a minority um, getting their way on uh, important transactions like these and of course the management are now asking people to vote to scrap that protection in itself which is pretty outrageous bit, isn't it that's pretty <laughs> outrageous pretty blatant what they're up to it, it is it is a bit of blessing. So, so they say, well, usually so few people vote that, you know, it, 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 it's a moot um, requirement and we never get anything through. But the point is, you know, this is a big transaction. People should get out and vote. And, you know, it, it's not really an excuse for pushing through an important change, a really important change, not just for LV, but for the whole of the mutual sector on the votes potentially of, of a very tiny minority of of its policyholders. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It is quite outrageous. Um, and just for those who haven't been following or who have forgotten some of this detail, it's a £530 million takeover by Bain. Now, that sounds like a lot of money, but each individual policyholder is only going to get a cash payment of £100, and they're not going to even get that until next October. So you're waiting nearly a year for 100 quid, all to sell out your ownership of this historic company that's been going since 1843. Now, you know, some people might say that that doesn't sound like a great deal. It's pretty paltry. When um, typical other insurance deals, when they demutualized, Standard Life was probably the most recent. That was back in 2006. And an average payout there was 1,700. So, you know, that's a lot more than that £100. And People are asking, well, you know, until quite recently, LV's bosses were saying they've got a great future as a mutual and they've got plenty of capital in the treasure chest. What's happened? You know, how come you're only offering £100 up front and, you know, maybe for some people, maybe down the line, a bit of an uplift on, on their policy? Where's all, you know, what, what's happened to end up in, in this scenario? Um, so I think it is a very uh, interesting and unusual situation. And I do think in a lot of these deals, Morrison's, for example, was taken over by private equity and small shareholders and ordinary customers don't really have any say in any of this at all. Now, with LV, the difference is people do have a say. There are 1.2 million members and, you know, they've all got a voice. And I really think if you haven't already used it, just get out there, get online, click into the meeting and make yourself heard. Absolutely right. Good advice, Ruth. And of course, we'll be giving extensive coverage to the outcome of that vote in the business pages of the Daily Mail and, of course, on this podcast.
That's Ruth Sunderland, business editor at the Daily Mail. Thanks for joining us. Is a new 150 pan, it's called the Always Pan, uh, really a Le Creuset for millennials? And can it replace other kitchen staples? Tanith Carey, author and journalist, has been trying out the pan and she joins me now. It's a lot of money, isn't it, uh, Tanith? £150. Mm, an eye-watering amount, yes. But it does look good. Um, I had people around to dinner on Saturday night and it's the first thing they looked at. Really? And I got a lot of ooh-la-las, yeah. <laughs> what, it does, does it come in different colours? It does. It comes in a lovely selection of pharaoh and ball style. Oh, nice. Mm. So it's a lovely departure from sort of, you know, the, the steel, the black and the kind of the pillar box red. So, yes, immensely, immensely tasteful looking. <laughs> now, it's selling very, very well. It's designed to be deep enough to boil pasta, shallow and wide enough to fry an egg. It promises to replace the need for a frying pan, sauté pan, steamer, skillet, saucier, mm. saucepan and non-stick pan. Do you agree with that? Would it replace all those? I think that's a little bit of spinning, to be honest. Right. Uh, I mean, what it does do is it means that you have a nice big saucepan that you can keep on your stove without having to secrete it. So that's quite handy. But I mean, obviously, it's a one pot pan. So if you're looking yeah. at creating something a little bit more complicated, then you're a bit stuck. Um, I mean, it is clever. It is beautifully designed. Um, I think the steaming element is very good. I think it's got a good variability in terms of like depth and width. But it is that is a little bit uh, far fetched. It's more of a kind of a must have kind of Instagram worthy um, piece of equipment that you can sort of show off to your friends. I yeah. <laughs> now, quite interesting because you're you're very frank here. You've got your kitchen shame. You've got a motley stack of mm. blackened pans teetering mm. in a cabinet. Could is it possible to blacken this pan? Can you burn stuff in it? Well, exactly. Um, I mean, according to reports out of America, uh, even people who have treated it extremely well, for example, you can't put it in the oven, you can't put it in the dishwasher, you have to oh. wash it very carefully with an eco-friendly soft sponge. Um, and if you use too high heat, um, it will mark. So that does add another layer of complexity compared to a bog-standard old saucepan you might have got from John Lewis, yeah. yeah. And why are they calling it the Le Creuset for Millennials? Um, I think it just came along at the right time. I mean, it's, uh, it came um, out in America at the start of the first lockdown when everyone was trying to cook and learn to cook. And um, it just hit the mark with a load of very hip and trendy ads. And it's obviously it's perfect for millennials as well because obviously, you know, it is a little bit space-saving and you can leave it out. So it does have that, that, uh, that, that quality to it. So I think that's why it's been called that. And obviously it was also endorsed by Oprah herself. So yes, indeed. it goes a long way. Yes, Queen Bee, of course. Just finally, <laughs> I was going to ask how heavy it is, and you've answered the question. Mm. It's not too heavy. No, it's not. That is a drawback with the with the Le Creuset. I have one as well. It certainly I, is. Yeah, and um, you know, if it's full of something, I have to get my husband to help almost. But this one yeah. is lighter than it looks because it's made of um, aluminium. So that is right. a good, that is a good point. So and it weighs about four pounds, and you can lift it with one hand. Yeah, easily lift it with one hand. Yeah, that, that is. Yeah, good which, as you say, design you. you uh, and uh, I know from using my Le Creuset, it's two hands every time. Mm, absolutely. Even, even, when it's em- even when they're empty. Mm, yeah, but that's also it's interesting. I was writing about Le Creuset this week, and they come with a lifetime guarantee, which is quite incredible. Because obviously yeah. this one um, doesn't. <laughs> right, and at £150, you might want, want one of those. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you'd want it to be around for a few generations, wouldn't you? I think you would. I think you would. That's Tanith Carey writing about the Always Pan. Thanks for joining us. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, you should download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, listen to me all over again. 
I'm Andrew Pearce. This is The Andrew Pearce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.